Transmitting from the heart of Times Square on 99.5 FM, WBAI New York, Pacifica Radio for the Tri-State Area, this is Trump Watch, a weekly series investigating the actions of and reactions to President Donald J. Trump and his administration. I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Conrad Tokyo, Sparrow, Pistachio, just unnatural, the dog is off sabbatical, rather watch the attention, follow attention, follow attention, CNN and all this, Juan, yo, there are some people who are saying that your your tariff threats threaten to plunge the economy into a recession. Harley-Davidson announced that it's moving a plant to Thailand. You've been very critical about that. Harley-Davidson was going to do that. They announced it early this year. So Harley-Davidson is using that as an excuse. And I don't like that because I've been very good to Harley-Davidson and they used it as an excuse. And I think the people that ride Harleys are not happy with Harley-Davidson. And I wouldn't be either. That was President Donald Trump in a meeting with lawmakers on June 26th, footage courtesy of the Daily Mail. Hello and welcome to the July 4th edition of Trump Watch. The president was reacting to the announcement earlier that day from the American motorcycle manufacturer Harley-Davidson that the company would move some production of bikes overseas to avoid an estimated $100 million annual loss in retaliatory tariffs from the European Union, prompted by the Trump administration's trade policy. The president also took to Twitter that day to criticize the iconic motorcycle maker, long affiliated with the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club, writing, quote, A Harley-Davidson should never be built in another country. Never. Their employees and customers are already very angry at them. If they move, watch, it will be the beginning of the end. They surrendered, they quit, the aura will be gone, and they will be taxed like never before. And President Trump has remained highly critical of the company's decision, tweeting on Tuesday, Now that Harley-Davidson is moving part of its operation out of the U.S., my administration is working with other motorcycle companies who want to move into the U.S., Harley customers are not happy with their move. Sales are down 7% in 2017. The U.S. is where the action is. The tough rhetoric is a sharp contrast to President Trump's earlier relationship with Harley-Davidson, who he invited for a photo op complete with motorcycles on full display on the White House lawn just one month into his presidency. Trump even opened a campaign rally in Wisconsin by mocking the state's governor, Scott Walker, who had just endorsed his opponent in the Republican primary, Ted Cruz. He came in on his Harley, Trump said of Walker, but he doesn't look like a motorcycle guy. The motorcycle guys, he added, like Trump. That last incident serves as the introduction for the Nation article This Political Theorist Predicted the Rise of Trumpism. His name was Hunter S. Thompson. In Hell's Angels, the gonzo journalist wrote about left-behind people, motivated only by an ethic of total retaliation. Sound familiar? By my guest Susan McWilliams, a professor of politics at Pomona College in Claremont, California, who wrote the book Traveling Back Toward a Global Political Theory. Originally published in December of 2016, Professor McWilliams' article shot to the top of the list of the nation's most read articles last week after the commander-in-chief's feud with Harley-Davidson erupted in the public sphere. Since we missed our first chance to interview her when the article was originally published in what was the second week of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent, 
We figured this was the perfect opportunity to learn more about Harley-Davidson, why these motorcycles are so important to the Hells Angels, and what the relationship between these two American icons, as depicted in Hunter S. Thompson's 1967 nonfiction novel Hells Angels, The Strange and Terrible Saga of the Outlaw Motorcycle Gangs, can tell us about Donald Trump's core group of supporters. According to Professor McWilliams, it can tell us quite a bit. We spoke on Monday. Joining me now is Susan McWilliams, a professor of politics at Pomona College in Claremont, California, who wrote the book Traveling Back Toward a Global Political Theory. Back in 2016, five weeks after the election of Donald Trump, Professor McWilliams published the article This Political Theorist Predicted the Rise of Trumpism, His Name Was Hunter S. Thompson, in the magazine The Nation. But 18 months into the Trump presidency, in light of a public feud with Harley-Davidson after the company announced last week it would relocate some production to Europe to compensate for retaliatory tariffs the EU enacted in response to administration trade policy, does she still feel that Thompson's portrayal of the Angels provides the best lens for understanding the president's core base of support? And just what is it about Thompson's portrayal of the motorcycle club that she believes makes it so illuminating in understanding Trump's supporters? Here to answer those questions and expand on this unique theory is Professor Susan McWilliams. Hello, Professor. Welcome to Trump Watch. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jesse. When did you first get the inspiration for your Nation article drawing the parallels between Trump supporters and the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club, as described by Hunter S. Thompson? Well, I think like a lot of people, uh, and certainly like a lot of political scientists, um, I realized when Donald Trump was running for president that most of the traditional political science-y kind of textbook accounts of politics we're not accounting in any way, shape, or form for uh, of Donald Trump. And I found myself um, when he was running and as it became clearer and clearer that he was going to get the Republican nomination, and then as it became clearer and clearer that there was a chance that he might win, I found myself thinking again and again of the book Health Angels. And when students would ask me or colleagues would ask me, how should they understand what was going on? Um, I kept finding myself saying, you know, you should really read Hell's Angels by Hunter S. Thompson. Because in Hell's Angels, Thompson, and this is 50 years ago, this is 1966, 15 years, 50 years before Donald Trump was running for president. Uh, Thompson said he saw in the Hell's Angels the future of right-wing politics in America. Uh, and it was retaliatory. Uh, it appealed to white, working-class, masculinist constituencies. And there was so much uh, overlap there between what I thought, what, what Trump was doing, that I started to think more seriously about it. And the more seriously I thought about what Thompson was saying in Hell's Angels, the more I realized that Trumpism was exactly what Thompson was predicting in Hell's Angels 50 years before. What were the first elements of the rise of Trump that started to remind you of what Hunter S. Thompson had written about? Um, well, in some ways, if you think about it's not so much a matter of policy, but Trump's attitude, his ethic. Trump has really appealed to people by saying things like the elites are rigging things against you. The media is 
fake. Uh, the professors are trying to keep real debate from campuses. Um, recently, you remember when he was in Minnesota just a couple weeks ago and said, why are these people called the elite anyway? I'm richer than they are. I have a nicer apartment than they are. And yet they somehow think that they're the elite. This attitude that Trump uh, brings again and again and again, that's basically a kind of hey, these rules are rigged, um, everything is a lie. That attitude that he channels is very similar to what uh, Hunter Thompson saw in The Hell's Angels. Hunter Thompson called it an ethics of total retaliation, that everything that the society took to be refined, like science and technology and book learning, in fact, became the subject of hostility and aggression and rage and even contempt. You describe how your grandfather, Kerry McWilliams, editor of The Nation magazine from 1955 to 1975, commissioned the initial article on the Hells Angels from Hunter S. Thompson, which ran in the magazine one year before the book was published, and gave the then-unknown journalist, who was to pioneer what he defined as the gonzo style of journalism, his first big break. How much do you know about where the idea to follow the Hells Angels and write about it came from? And why do you think your grandfather decided to give the assignment to Hunter? Um, I don't know too much um, about uh, that origin story besides what you've just said. Um, But I do know that um, my grandfather uh, was from California and the Hells Angels were a Californian phenomenon. Uh, My grandfather was very much of the school that California politics are kind of future of American politics. As California goes, we say, so goes uh, the nation. And I think he thought that there was probably something there uh, to be investigated. I would guess that he gave the assignment to Thompson because, look, as anybody who's ever read anything by Hunter S. Thompson or seen a Hunter S. Thompson knows, Thompson is intrigued by anybody who lives on the edges or the fringes of society. Um, Thompson really had a soft spot for people who like to stick up their middle finger at the whole system. And also Thompson really liked motorcycles. Um, There are some parts in Hell's Angels where it's really clear that if nothing else, Thompson likes hanging out with these guys because he has a kind of need for speed the way that they do too. And that's why I think he was able to spend so much time with them. And it's also why I think so many people have missed the real political import of the book. They get caught up, as I think Thompson did at moments, in the kind of drugs and speed and sex aspect of the angels. And they uh, they miss the fact that Thompson sees in them something that's huge and foreboding about um, American politics. Right, to read your own writing back to you. Most people read Hell's Angels for the lurid stories of sex and drugs, as you just said, Mm -hmm. but that misses the point entirely. What's truly shocking about reading the book today is how well Thompson foresaw the retaliatory right-wing politics that now goes by the name of Trumpism. After following the motorcycle gangs around for months, Thompson concluded that the most striking thing about them was not their hedonism, but what you just mentioned, their ethic of total retaliation Mm -hmm. against a technologically advanced and economically changing America in which they felt they'd been counted out and left behind. Boy, that sure sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Beyond the obvious parallels, what does this ethic of total retaliation idea tell us about the president's base? Well, I think it uh, tells us something important, especially those of us who are on the left and are trying to think about how to 
respond to Trumpism, that a lot of what Trumpism appeals to is the very real fact that for very many Americans, even Americans who have worked hard uh, at jobs to get through high school, uh, to support their families, they don't have the training, the expertise, the opportunity, or the access uh, to be able to participate in a meaningful way in the American economy. Um, Thompson said, actually, in an interview that he did about Hell's Angels after after he wrote the book, he said, look, the more people have more and more requirements to get a job, right? Like, the more people are going to be forced out of the job market or to the fringes of the job market, the more people's lives are going to become economically uncertain. And the more, especially if those people felt like they played by the rules and worked hard and did what they could, the more they're going to be really pissed off. And the more they're going to feel that the system is rigged against them. And the more you feel like a system is rigged against you and everybody around you, the more contempt you're going to have for the system itself. Um, And the more you're going to feel like retaliating against it is a legitimate option. And in fact, maybe the only option you have besides just, you know, tucking your tail between your legs and, you know, going home. Another point you take from Hunter S. Thompson's reporting is that the wealthy Berkeley liberals stand in, I believe, for the Mm -hmm. so-called coastal elites of today, Mm -hmm. while believing they were allies with the downtrodden uh, classes, had no idea of the contempt that these same people felt for them and all Mm -hmm. they stand for. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I think that is right. Um, I think that, look, I'm, you know, today a professor in California, right? mm-hmm. and I'm surrounded by very thoughtful, very well-meaning people who really believe and in many ways are on the side of people who they understand to be downtrodden or oppressed or somehow on the fringes of things. Um, and, and yet the the kinds of guys who Thompson is talking about and Health Angels say, look, people like me and my colleagues who have really nice jobs and nice houses and like to intellectualize everything often really miss the point and aren't nearly as much on the side of people like them as as we pretend to be or think we are. And that actually only adds to the level of contempt that at least just, and you know, this is how Thompson puts it, adds to the, the contempt that they have for people on the left who think that they're on their side. There are these great scenes in Health Angels where um, there are sort of Berkeley types who are trying to prove that they're simpatico with the Health Angels, and they just completely misunderstand the angels. They're patronizing. They want to talk about sort of peace and kumbaya. And the hell the angels are like, you're missing the very simple fact that like we're pissed off and you're winners in this system that has excluded us. You're not on our side at all. And I think that's something that's still true today, that there are lots of Americans, elite Americans, who think they're on the side of people who've been left out and left behind and who aren't um, as holy as they think they are on the side of people who've been left out and left behind. It seems like at least in that culture war, uh, Thompson was on the side of the angels, Mm -hmm. at least initially, but he came to realize that this was no organization of brotherly love. Can you talk about the incident in which Hunter S. Thompson, after months of seemingly being in good with the Angels, found out exactly what it was like to be on the receiving end of someone who had earned their disrespect? 
Yeah, well, this is, a, I think, the key to understanding the whole book. I think Thompson thought, and let's remember, Thompson's a journalist. He's a writer. He's someone with a job in respectable society. He really thinks, and throughout the whole book, um, it's clear that he thinks that he is really in with the angels. They tell him stories. He goes on runs with them. He spends a lot of time with him. They come to their, his apartment. They have parties together. But then he ends the book by recounting an incident where at some point in time, for some offense that he doesn't really understand, uh, you know, what it was, um, the angels turn on him, a bunch of them beat him up. And the book more or less ends with Thompson driving himself, you know, blood gushing from various parts of his body to the hospital. And that's when Thompson really realizes these aren't guys who are dying to be understood or psychologized by intellectuals. These aren't guys who are really going to become Thompson's friends because they see themselves as on clearly on one side of the divide and, and Thompson on another. Um, and that's when Thompson really starts to get worried about what he sees in the angels and where he really starts to worry about the physical violence and the brutality of the angels. He's not worried like, most Americans at the time were about their violence on a kind of personal level, like, oh, crime is going to increase, rapes are going to increase if the angels are around. Thompson says this is a violent form of politics or a kind of political association that is very comfortable with violence and that we should be very careful about. And that's what I think for him and in later interviews about the angels, what he really emphasized a lot was that when he thought about what the angels were a harbinger of, it was scary to him. Do you believe, in light of your greater point, that this incident of Hunter, in a way, being betrayed by the angels tells us something about the Trump movement? I do think it tells us quite a few things about the Trump movement. Um, one thing, for instance, is that, and I alluded to this before, um, a lot for a lot of Trump supporters, they're less interested in Trump policies than they're interested in Trump's attitude. They love it when Trump thumbs his nose at members of people who like members of the elite. They love it that Trump doesn't care about certain kinds of political or professional niceties. They love it that Trump misspells things and doesn't care that he misspells things. They love it that he's on Twitter and that he often says things that are ill-conceived on Twitter. Um, for I think one of the things that we have to recognize about Trumpism is that that kind of attitude is what attaches a lot of people to Trump, not any specific policy position or lack thereof. Another thing I think that it tells us that Hunter S. Thompson's account of the angels tells us about Trumpism is that what's at the core of Trumpism is a real economic anxiety um, that's not just a kind of momentary, is there going to be a recession or not a, re a recession this year kind of anxiety, that it's rooted in a kind of economic anxiety that goes frankly, like more than 50 years into the past, as people feel like they have to work harder and harder and harder in a job market that leaves more and more and more people behind. And in fact, that was Thompson's real worry about the angels. He said there are going to be more and more of this, these people, and they're not going to all wear patches. People who feel like they worked really hard, they played by the rules, like technology and the economy have left them behind, and they're pissed off about it. Um, and I think until the left really come to terms with that, that Trumpism isn't just about 
racist beliefs. And Trumpism isn't just reactionary, that it's retaliatory and retaliatory against a whole economic technological order. It's going to be really hard to uh, understand what's going on there. One thing that I think is important for everybody to understand is that Trumpism is bigger than Trump. Trump doesn't come out of nowhere. And one of the best proofs of that is that Thompson is seeing these patterns in the American electorate 50 years before Trump runs for president. I'm speaking with Professor Susan McWilliams of Pomona College, author of the Nation article, This Political Theorist Predicted the Rise of Trumpism. His name was Hunter S. Thompson. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. Professor McWilliams, To skip to the present, has the recent feud between President Trump and Harley-Davidson motorcycles changed your view on the effectiveness of analyzing Trump supporters, or at least the Trump base, through the lens of Hunter S. Thompson's Hells Angels portrait? (laughs) No, I I mean, I do have to say, when I wrote this piece, uh, I had no idea how important Harley-Davidson would become to Trump as a symbol. He invited Harley-Davidson shortly after I wrote this piece to showcase their motorcycles on the White House lawn. It was a level of connection there that I never could have imagined. But I think that Trump understands the symbolism of Harley-Davidson. Your listeners who don't ride motorcycles might not know, but this is really important to understand. In the 60s, when the Hells Angels took to Harley-Davidson's, It was an era in which Harley-Davidson's were the slowest, clunkiest, most out-of-date models of motorcycle on the market. They were being eclipsed by all sorts of sleeker Japanese and European imports. And part of the reason that the Angels got so attached to the the Harley-Davidson's is that Harley's sort of represented where the angels felt like they were in society, scorned, outclassed, not the most efficient, not the most desirable by a whole bunch of objective criteria. And Trump really understands that, that Harley-Davidson's mean something to people. So it's been really interesting to see how, first of all, Europeans understood that when they put the special tariffs on Harley-Davidson's and that Trump feels clearly so betrayed by the fact Uh, that Harley-Davidson is moving some of its production to Europe. For Trump, I think, he needs Harley-Davidson, frankly, in a way that I don't think that Harley-Davidson needs Trump. So it hasn't changed my understanding of Trumpism at all. In fact, in some ways, it's just made me realize how much Trump himself is very consciously trying to attach his wagon to all of the things that Harley-Davidson has represented in the American mind for generations now. What would you say to a Trump supporter who hears this interview and says, hey, I'm no hell's angel. I'm a rational, sane person who voted for Trump for economic policy to get conservative judges on the Supreme Court or any other more traditional conservative uh, political reason, obviously not all of his supporters would fall into the category you're describing. Obviously not. And in fact, I've, uh, you know, after since I wrote that article, I heard from lots of people who said essentially that, right? Yeah, I voted for him, but I'm not um, a white middle class man who recently lost my job. I'm this other kind of person. 
I'm not trying to account here for every single person who voted for Trump or who sees Trump's appeal or who continues to support the president. I'm more interested in what it is about Trump, what it is that Trump is harnessing and channeling that if not entirely new in American politics, then has never before seen this prominence on the American national political stage. And obviously, not all the people who are attached to Trump are attached to Trump for these particular reasons. But lots of people are. And I think, especially to the extent that I think what Hunter S. Thompson would say is something like, hey, look, there's this whole new force on the American political scene that aren't people who are just voting for the Supreme Court or voting for their economic interests. They're voting for this candidate for a set for out of this retaliatory spirit toward the whole American system, which they take to be rigged beyond belief, which they take to be corrupt beyond belief, who think that this, there is a swamp and that it needs to be drained. And if you want to understand that part of Trump's support, this is like these are the kinds of people you have to think about. And so to the extent that anybody wants to understand that piece of what makes Trump Trump and what has continued to bring him success, I think looking back to Thompson, it's a really good idea. As a political scientist, where do you believe this culture war is going? Uh, there have certainly been no shortage of divisions along racial, cultural and political lines mm. in our country's history. But do you have any sense of where we'll be headed in our lifetime, where will uh, whether this chaotic way of the angels or the more uh, predictable order of the coastal elites will ever reign supreme or will these bitter divides only worsen over time? Well, I mean, I, the, the great thing about political scientists is that in the last 50 years, we've proven that we're pretty pathetic when it comes to predicting what happens in the future. So I'm not sure I want to, um, you know, uh, levy my own expertise in that regard. I'm not I, sure I, the pundits have a much better record. <laughs> I mean, this is the wonderful thing about democracy is that it is unpredictable and there is no science that can entirely capture how unpredictable and strange people really are. I, I, I do think that this kind of dynamic is not going to go away no matter what. Technology isn't going to go away. The effect that technology has on the economy is not going to go away. Tariffs aside, certain kinds of government interventions aside, those are going to have effects on people's real lives, um, yours and mine and everybody else's. And those kinds of you know, what Silicon Valley calls disruptions are also going to be felt as displacements and disrespects and disenfranchisements and disempowerments by lots of people. And I think that even if Trump were to disappear tomorrow, we would still as a society be really working out and debating with great passion what that means for the the kind of society we have, and uh, this is the kind of society we want to be uh, in the middle of. Look, I spend a lot of time around people who fantasize about Trump impeachment or getting him out in 2020, and I think we need to be realistic about the fact that just as the Hell's Angels and what they stood for didn't go away in 1966 or 67 or 68 or 69 or 70 or ever, Trumpism is and the kinds of things that I'm interested in thinking about are not going to go away even if Trump goes away um, because the cultural, economic, technological forces that set those feelings and 
attitudes and positions into motion are still there and are probably only going to get more pronounced. So I think we're going to probably see more variations on the same for a while, though perhaps having different people at the helm of national politics will change things superficially. But if there's anything that Hunter S. Thompson has taught me about Trumpism, it's that it's about more than Trump. It's about more than the people who voted for Trump in this particular election. And it's about more of what's to come in American politics. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jesse. I've been speaking with Susan McWilliams, a professor of politics at Pomona College and author of the 2016 article, This Political Theorist Predicted the Rise of Trumpism. His name was Hunter S. Thompson. You're listening to Trump Watch. My name is Jesse Lent. And that's going to do it for this week's show. You can hear all 76 episodes of Trump Watch with Jesse Lent at soundcloud.com slash trumpwatchwbai or wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter, where our handle is TrumpWatchWBAI. And I'll be back next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. when we'll break down another aspect of the Donald Trump administration. Until then, I'm your host, Jesse Lent. Talk to you next time. Come, you man. There's a war.